This is exactly right. It's 1943 in the Kingdom of Bulgaria. As the Second World War rages, King Boris dies suddenly and every nation is a suspect. The Butterfly King premieres March the 21st on Exactly Right. It's a cruel tale of a doomed royal dynasty. Somewhere, the truth is out there. Listen to The Butterfly King on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to My Favorite Murder. The podcast where you ask the questions and we don't have the answers. And why would we? Like, we're not answer people. We, you know that. We've said it a million times. And also, get your own fucking answers. (laughs) Whoops, whoops. And then give them to us, please. (laughs) Email them to myfavoritemurder at gmail.com. Don't forget to Instagram some answers. Yeah. Take a picture of the answers and send them to George on Instagram. You guys are so smart. Mm -hmm. You really are. You absolutely are. This is a teaching podcast. We teach you how smart you are. By not having answers and requesting them. Maybe we do have answers and we're not really telling you because we want you to learn them yourself. I mean, it is, it does invite the listener yeah. in to participate. Hey, we're going to tell you this story. Are we wrong? <laughs> Let us know. That's this thing where my, when I was a kid, and this fucking pissed me off more than anything, when I'd ask my mom how to spell something and she'd say, look it up. Look it up. We have a whole set of dictionaries or whatever the fuck. <laughs> fuck you. Just spell this three letter word but for me. You know what that was? What? She didn't know how to spell it. <laughs> Hello. It's a classic oh mom God. trick. Mom, you asshole. Pretend to be teaching because you don't know. That's wow. like my dad going, me complaining about, I can't do math. Him going, well, just tell me what the problem is. Me being like, no, I don't want to open this door. Three hours later, my dad's screaming about new math. <laughs> screaming. <laughs> like Sorry, trying to read the book. Anymore. Yeah, from the beginning. He's going to help well, me. Let, me. let me look at the beginning of this chapter. Hold on. Let, let me just read this. No. Re- forget it. Forget it. Forget it. And also... It's helped me in no way. Yeah. In life. Math? No math has helped me. No. Basic, basic algebra. All you need. And even then, really, what are these concepts? It's almost like in algebra, they're trying to get you. It's like, I don't have to like, um, plan the projection of a rocket ship to get from here to Mars. It's never going to happen no, in my life. A rocket person, yeah, a, scientist. A ro- a they call sometimes business, a rocket businessman. I think a they call them or woman. I'm not going to be or a mathematician. A rocket businessman, woman, woman. Like, let's not. I'm sorry. I please edit that out. Person. Person, person, person. It could be any gen- gender fluid. Doesn't you could be a man or sell woman. rocket ships. You could ride on rocket ships and just be the accountant on the rocket ship. There's got to be someone who sells parts. Where, where's that guy in the Alien series? Where's the rocket ship accountant that gets eaten first? Oh, I wonder if that's um, Paul Reiser was the irritating guy in at least one of the Alien series. Yeah, I, but was, was he the one who got the, his stomach busted open? Uh, no. Um, although something bad did happen to him. I shouldn't say no because, well, everyone but died. I think the one, I know the one you're thinking of, yeah. which is the one where they all had to witness it. Man, I need to rewatch that movie. It's the best movie. That and Spaceballs I haven't seen in too long. 
Very similar. Right. Similar films. It's the same kind of idea. I'm thinking of Aliens 2, though, right? Paul Reiser's and Steven, it, Aliens We're getting too. a yes from young Steven who knows yes. shit. Science Steven. Those Science. are those are some of my favorite movies. And yeah, Paul Reiser, you know, he he get you know, he has to get it in the end, spoilers. Yes. Because yeah. he, he's the, the douchebag. Yeah. Oh. He's the corporate douchebag that's like, hey, we've got to do this. So, you know, hey, I'm going like, to get you to do something. Yeah, he's in, in, in charge. Yeah. Can I say Sigourney Weaver from the first Aliens is my underwear muse. Oh, hell yeah. Those cotton, high-waisted underwear that are a little loose yeah. are the sexiest thing. Like, that's... I stopped wearing G-strings when I fucking saw that as an adult. Um, I have to tell you... Those underwear are only sexy if you have really long legs. Oh. If you don't, you look like someone's grandma. You do, which is a, a genre for some people. Sure, I don't want to. Sh- I don't want to kink shame anybody. God <laughs> forbid. But um, you really need to have the pegs to make those grandma underwear work. Amen. <laughs> and I don't. So <laughs> also, you not- can't have. If it was a realistic movie, yeah. of her working on a spaceship and being all like bedraggled by being chased by aliens. Mm-hmm. You know she would have had like some razor burn Full bush She would have had bush coming out of those <gasps> underwear She's not waxing up in space Listen I'm a feminist Do whatever you want with your bush Listen I don't want to see it Right I mean that's not your specific thing No that's not my kink That's not your kink Perhaps it's someone else's <sighs> Everybody's is- included And everybody's supported <laughs> Um, this is a murder podcast. Guys, <laughs> are you here for true crime? Well, that's great. Is this your first time listening? You so are not sorry. at the wrong place. Don't Just leave. Don't leave. Don't go. We're about to talk about murder. Don't go. Don't leave us. I have a specifically gruesome one today. Do you really? It's not gruesome. It's just that I've been working on it. Anyways, uh, <laughs> I have to shout out a couple things. This okay. will be quick, everyone. Okay. Someone named Julia Er, H-U-R, Made a fucking eight bit video game of my favorite murder. That's right, and it is. I almost started crying when I saw it. Vince yeah. was playing it. You have Stephen to, loves it. In the beginning, you fight doctors and nurses, evil doctors and nurses <laughs> that are trying to kill you. El- it's you and me and Elvis, and the way we kill people is Elvis attacks them. <laughs> it's yeah. yeah, and then you have to go to the Cecil Hotel. You can take elevators up to kill certain like different kinds of killers. Amazing. This like eight bit music. It's all eight bit, but it's like incredible. And so you go. Okay, this is a weird. Julia, we need you to fix this website. It's <laughs> j u k e l dot i t c h dot i o. I'm sorry if I actually have sent you to a some getting some a kind of virus underpants kink site right but i don't think it is you can go play this video game i don't know what she's gonna do with it but she needs to conquer the world with it that's amazing it's so good now i have to tell you sadly i am so old i am from beef i predate 8-bit video games so like i know that that's the 90s kids it's a big deal to them because they played them and it's the whole like um oregon trail style shit. oh yeah i played that I'm older than that. I'm older than that. So you guys didn't have computer um, labs in your elementary school? Well, we didn't have them anyway because it was Catholic school, which is super cheap. Like our scrap paper, we used paper that was the old menus from restaurants in town. Are you fucking kidding me? I swear to God. Um, That kind of sounds cool because I love menus. Well, it was fun. And I, my friend Ken Mason, one of my first friends, because I went there in sixth grade, so I was new. Mm. He was also new and he turned to me and goes, ma'am, may I take your order this morning? And I was like, hi, new best friends. (laughs) Hi, best friends. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, but I was going to say our, I think I've told you this already, our version of computer lab, quote unquote, mm-hmm. was they taught us 
basically how to enter code where they're like, they basically made a, we were working for the school where they're like, enter this on this line and this on this line. And we were just doing, they're like, like the, having you do their books. Yeah. It was like data entry where they're like, put in 0101010101 all the way across. Labor. Yeah. It was ridiculous. We had no idea what it was, how it applied to the it, computers. It doesn't. Yeah. It's like that. <laughs> Not <laughs> necessary unless you're a rocket Computers businessman. Computers and math are extraneous bullshit yeah. that you don't need to be taught. Listen, I know email. Look, I know some things. <laughs> I know how to blog. No, a couple things. I can write about myself for hours. Should I mention... First, we should say thank you so much. We went to Detroit and Toronto last weekend. Fucking nicest crowds. Incredible crowds. Incredible shows we had the best time yeah. i didn't tweet anything about it because i on my way home i was like oh no it's too late i didn't want to do a like yeah thanks, i didn't want to do everybody at once yeah. but they were such good shows and at the toronto show this was my favorite part and when i told my sister she started crying there was a woman there was a People who were holding up signs in the audience. It was really funny. But of course, I didn't have my glasses on. So I didn't. I just saw that there were like. I need to remember squares. that and point shit out to you. Yeah. Because like, I forget. I think that you're not pointing it out because you don't want to. But like, remember when the two girls dressed as the Shining Twins yes. in the front row? Yes. Like, if I hadn't fucking pointed that out to you, I would have cried. I was like, that's, that's embarrassing. Those two girls wore the same outfit. <laughs> <laughs> and they were sitting next to each other. But there was oh, yeah, a girl. I just I told my sister the story. There was a girl that we met afterwards who was holding up a sign that said MFM saves lives. Yeah. And when I told my sister, she burst into tears. Where oh. I'm just like, but the best part about it was so that's a brag brag. I'm so brag as we do. But when we met her um, at the meet and greet afterwards, and she goes, I thought everyone was going to have a sign, <laughs> and I was like, this isn't a march. You're at a live show. <laughs> she she for some reason had it in her head that everybody was going to have a sign to I hold up it. at the show. It was she was so nice. It was the cutest thing in the world. It was really. It was fun. a big. And I remember walking out and seeing it. It was a really big sign and I was like oh the people behind her are so pissed <laughs> that's like all I could think not like oh my god how nice I was like oh fuck no it was really sweet and it was hilarious it was great and god we're just so fucking lucky we're so lucky these the best people I know it's so fun so thank you Detroit thank you Toronto yeah. thank you JFL for inviting us we uh had a great time and we were really honored to yeah. close the festival yeah they told us totally um speaking of live shows really quickly i just want to mention shows that are kind of new to the roster and still have tickets and still have tickets available so fort lauderdale on november 5th uh minneapolis on october 18th in kansas city we added a late show and that's on december 9th the end okay great if you're in any of those cities and you want to come and see us there are tickets available go get them oh and then we're doing the um la in los angeles like we haven't announce it's not like we haven't been pushing this as much because it's not a huge show but it's the la podcast festival which is our first show we ever did last year yes and it was so much fun and we didn't know what we were doing yeah it was very close to our hearts it is very close to our hearts because it's the first time we ever put this as a live we didn't know at that show if people would even be okay with what we were doing or live. come yes or anything so and the dollop puts it on who of course are our, our brother podcast i feel like yeah and well it's dave anthony yeah. it's graham elwood it's chris Mancini. Right. Sorry. Yeah. That's okay. Well, just so everybody gets. Yeah. Credit. Yeah. yeah. So we don't want them fighting. We don't want those boys fighting. No. So I think we're just going to do like 
little LA murders and then just bring people up to do hometowns. Maybe some of our comedy friends that there's a live show who are doing the show as well at the pot fest. And there's a ton of other really great podcasts to watch as well. So there's so many good ones weekend this year. Pass. Yeah. Like great ones. And it's at the Biltmore hotel, yeah. which in and of itself is an amazing place to be in downtown Los Angeles. Totally. Gorgeous hotel. Listen, get a hotel room at the ACE. Listen, have a weekend, go to Kohl's and get yourself a French dip. You could, that's right. Or Philippe's so, depends well, on which one. Try them both and, Tell us which one you like better. I like Philippe's better. You could um, get married and then stay at the Biltmore for the weekend and then oh. come to Podfest. I think that could be fun. Get married? Yeah. Can we marry people? We should get ordained. That's a great idea. Thank you. The Church of... <laughs> Thank you. I've been waiting for you to say that. The Church of... Uh, what's that? There's an internet church. Satan. Like... <laughs> well, yeah, we could do that. I mean, why not? Oh, I don't want to make my Aunt Mary mad. <laughs> Uh, my Aunt Mary had knee surgery. She came through just fine. Dottie got fixed today. She came through <laughs> Very just fine. similar. We were having... Um, <laughs> we were ha- this is called- One can talk and is my relative and is a human being. Just Sorry, really quick. I didn't mean to... It's okay. I didn't mean to belittle Aunt Mary. I just wanted to put it out there that I'm happy that she made it through. She listens to this podcast. That was very disrespectful of It's me, okay. I, I know you didn't mean it that way. I didn't. You were just word associating. Yeah, but also, you know, how much cats mean to me. Of course. But And it's your own cat, which is... <laughs> Stephen is having a nervous Stephen breakdown. right 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 now. <laughs> Stephen, what's so funny about Stephen, that? Stephen, what's going on? <laughs> no, I just like, I mean, you were just like, and Donnie. You know? I thought we were shouting out hospital people. I thought this we was were. hospital corner. We were, we were. I overstepped yes. my bounds. I just needed to, I needed to cap it. That's all. No, it was perfect. You got it. It was but, perfect. But, that's um, just so like me. Oh, right. And my cat. It's your, <laughs> I can relate everything to my style. Cat. Yeah. But uh, Dottie came through fine. It's okay. We don't have well, to do that. I didn't mean to. I know. No, you're, she's fine. That'll be my thing I love at the end. Let's save that for the end. Cut that out. Okay, good. Don't cut that out. Okay. Um, I think that's it. Oh, uh, my thing is there's something else I want to talk about. I can't remember what it is offhand, which is just fun. the style it's that fun. I'm in right now. But I will say this. I was going insane trying to enter Mind Hunters, the new David Fincher series, into my DVR. I was doing oh it. God. I'm like, every time I would do it, it wouldn't accept it. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm too late. I'm too early. I'm too early. Yeah, I'm too yeah. early. Well, now I know for a fact it's starting, I believe, on October 13th. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Finally, I put it together. I had to look it up online. It's a Netflix series. There's oh. nothing to program in my DVR. It was making means because I'm like, I'm going to miss it. And... So anyone else who might be having that experience, it's a Netflix series that you can't pre-plan. It's going to be so good. We're going to talk about it. We're going to have an extra mini-sode just to talk about yes, it. Yes, please. We'll I, watch it together. Yes. And then um, have a whole talk down. Because I, it's distracting me. There's lots of people that I love sending me suggestions constantly, and you, yeah. on on Twitter Thank of, you. have you seen this? Have you seen that? I kind of demand. I felt bad the other night when I was like, watch this thing. You have to. And then I was like, texted back, I'm sorry, you don't have to you do don't anything. Have to. <laughs> We're very careful. Oh my we're God. trying to be very careful. Very careful with each other's triggers. Our That's therapist right. said we're we're perfect together because we're the exact triggers for each other. Yes. We which are. I love. It's I think kind. we're we're each other's sisters. Yes. Personalities. Yes. You're well, my sister and I'm your sister. You're not you're not my sister. I'm not. But she's too fucking cool for me. No, no. <laughs> I love her. Um she's she is the greatest. Yeah. Um no, we're, it's just, it's almost like everything that I've ever worried about myself. <laughs> I see in you and then I get mad at yeah. you that I was like that. Yeah. It's like that crazy. And I get scared of 
I just, I always make friends with these women who have big personalities and I get uh-huh. intimidated <laughs> and I get intimidated easily and I don't act like myself, which they see and isn't fun. And then I change and get controlling and shit and weird. And- yeah, because I, uh, it makes sense to me though when you have because I also make friends with people with big personalities. Yeah, and you, your that's option- a compliment. I fucking love badass women. Yeah, and I want to be friends with them. But you have to also have boundaries, yeah. and you have to be able to hold your own shit and like know. Like I have a big personality, but I also absolutely want to know what you want. Like it's hard to manage that yeah. sometimes because I come from. A family of screaming Irish people and that I'm are like terrified of screaming. People. Shut the door! That's standard talking. That's and I'm normal like, talking. She hates me. What did I do? I need to fix this. I'm going to be really nice to her. And then you're just like, uh, she's annoying the shit out then of I'm me. And I'm like, what's that tone in her voice? Yeah. I think she might be snapping. Yeah, <laughs> it's we're great guys. We're working. Look at us. We're <laughs> therapy is my god. Can you imagine life without therapy? It would be bad. I go to three therapists a week and it's, and I'm still not fixed. I go to two. We'll never be fixed. No, there's no fixing. We're not cats. It's just <laughs> right. We're just, you're just always working on it. It's just our project. You and guys, we have this project. Be together. honest with the best thing when we, after the shows, when we meet people is when they say, I go, I went to therapy because you guys were so open about it. To me, that's like, Therapy is my fucking so important, my jam. And like, if we can do that, then I don't give a shit anything else. Uh, exactly. It, it it's such a it's such a weird side effect that we had no idea yeah. was going to happen. Yeah. And people have told on the, all of those shows. Yeah. We had people at those meet and greets saying, "I went back, or I went for the first yeah. time, or whatever it is." We're so grateful. There was one girl who was like, "My that. therapist made me come tonight." Yes, that's right. Remember? Yeah. She came alone. She was like, my therapist told me I have to come. Yeah. So cute. All right. Then we get obsessed with like, did you meet those girls over there? They're really nice. Like we want the, we want a friend match. Yeah. I love it. Anyhow, David Fincher, (laughs) (laughs) Netflix, Mind Hunters. I cannot wait. It's based on, it's based on early FBI serial killing profiling and how serial killers like it's just about all that. It's everything we love. And Finch, the Finch, Finch is with this so good. beautiful shots of like a seventies green Zodiac, right? Nova. Yes, pulling so into Zodiac a shot. and how gorgeous it was. This is gonna be a Netflix thing. Yeah, it's, it's gonna, gonna be, be a amazing. weekly series of beautiful shots. <sighs> fuck, fuck, fuck! I'm so excited. Okay, anything else? Um, I think whatever else there is that is dominating my mind, the Fincher thing. Yeah. Okay. But there's I'm nothing just else. Obsessed. I don't have anything. March things whatever yeah things are on sale buy shirt you guys buy so many shirts Steven things. shirts are going like hot cakes oh people loving their shirts people love this they're starting to post photos of them they're starting to get them the steven nice shirts are amazing who goes first this week me yeah if we're going by toronto i, I don't even know what we go by anymore but i'm I'll no take that's it. what we go by okay just the shows we whoever do. went but, yeah yeah okay Cool. We do it by our own personal calendar. <laughs> it's like the Jewish calendar, mm-hmm. but it's my favorite murder calendar. Mm-hmm. All right. We're as old as the Jewish calendar. We really are. And historic. Georgia, is there anything scarier than trying to log into an account and it tells you that your password is incorrect? And then you try again and it's the same thing. And after a few more failed attempts, big red letters appear saying you've been locked out and your account is suspended. That happens to me all the time, Karen. But 
scary password stories can have happy endings if you give 1Password a try. 1Password is a user-friendly password management system. It's trusted by consumers, families, small businesses, and large-scale enterprises. If you're tired of being the family member everyone texts for a streaming login or the unofficial keeper of all those shared work credentials, it's time for you to pass the torch to 1Password. They allow for secure login sharing. With 1Password, you can securely store more than just passwords, autofill everything from usernames to payment details and personal info. They'll also notify you about potential data breaches. 1Password saves everyone time. And in many cases, that save time equals money saved. The accounting department will thank you. Don't just listen to us. I mean, you should, but don't just do that. The Associated Press uses 1Password to secure their sensitive information in high-risk areas. Right now, our listeners can get a two-week free trial at onepasswordcom MFM. That's two free weeks at one, as in the number one, password.com slash MFM. OnePassword.com slash MFM. Goodbye. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Are you ready for Dean Coral, the candy <gasps> man? Oh, I went there. You went there. I went there. Shit. I went there. Big shout out right now to the Texas Monthly article, The Lost Boys by Skip Hollingsworth, who I feel like we reference a lot. He writes incredible murder articles. Skip Hollingsworth? Holland. Hollingsworth. Awesome. Um, it's called The Lost Boys. It's got a lot. I feel like he wrote one that I did that yeah, was from Texas. He's, he's been on our... He's been on the show before. Okay, that's awesome. And then also, to, I want to shout out Marcus Parks from Hell yes. fucking last podcast on the left for all the research. They did like a four part episode. Yes. That's like got a lot of details that this doesn't have. It's because I don't not going to do four parts of this. No, um, it, it's so their version of it. Yeah, was such a deep dive, but also so upsetting. There were things in that that like I'd I'd seen that story before on like uh, whatever forensic files types yeah. of things. It's um, really they. He went into a deep dive of all these books. There's not a lot of documentaries. There's just some like videos on YouTube and shit, but there's not a lot of stuff. This is so, a, yeah, this is an epic one. Okay. It's can't amazing. Wait. All right. I love it. And just we love you, Marcus Parks. Yeah. Thank you, Marcus Parks. You're a genius. Okay. You're a mastermind. You're um Yeah. He's so, a murder savant. He's just so good at researching. He is. I wish. I wish. I wish. I wish. I wish. Okay. Just give us all your old notes, Marcus. Yeah. It's like he's our brother and he already took the class. Yeah. I'm like, like, can I copy? Please just give it to us and we'll read your thing. Yeah. And then we'll do our own, I swear. We'll do a boring version of your book. <laughs> we promise. <laughs> we're not going to have, um, we're not going to have, uh, Henry Zabrowski like yeah. talking in the background. So it's not going to be the same. <laughs> we'll be the quiet girl version. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> this is the Candyman Dean Coral. Ugh. All right. On the evening of August 7th, it's 1973, Wayne Henley, he's a 17-year-old wiry kid, acne, thick brown hair. He's kind of like, looks like a Brooklyn hipster. He <laughs> invites his 19-year-old friend, Timothy Curley, to a party at his friend Dean Coral's house in Pasadena, Texas. It's a suburb of Houston. Um, and they bring along Henley's 15-year-old friend, Rhonda Williams. She had been beaten by her drunk father that night. Oh. And so he was like, he took her out of the home for the, for the time being. I was like, you can crash at my friend, Dean 
Dean Coral's house. Um, Dean Coral is 33, and he Henley tells them he's a chill dude. He lets people crash at his house at parties with them. 33-year-old guy who wants to party with teenagers? Yep. A red flag. Seven red flags. A hundred. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I started singing a lot on this podcast. You got to. I know. Sometimes that's the only way to get real sh- crazy shit out. Okay. They get there around 3 a.m. They drink. They smoke. They snuff. Sniff paint. They pass the fuck out. What? <laughs> Sorry. You know, it's the 70s. <laughs> you sniff paint. God, it's so... That is the bleakest, like... It's that thing of, like, when you scrape your pot pipes and you're just trying to get, like... You smoke old resin or whatever. Yeah. Like, p- sniffing paint is, like, 10 deg- steps below that. Well, because I bet the sh- 70s weed is fucking terrible. Mm, sure. And they're fucking high school kids. Have you seen... There's a... um. There's an amazing mugshot of a guy, and it just has a ring of a paint yeah. can outline around his face. It's gold, isn't it? Gold paint yes. ring. <laughs> I used to have this Tumblr. I had a hundred Tumblrs, and I had one called uh, what was it? it was called Look at this fucking convict. And oh, I yeah. would post a photo of a mugshot and just write what happened. I should do that again. That's funny. Whatever. And I posted that one once. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so um, they pass out, and they and Henley wakes up to find his mouth taped shut, his ankles are bound, and Dean Coral is snapping handcuffs onto his wrist. Fuck. And Curly and Rhonda are are also bound, gagged be- beside him. Um, and Curly had been stripped naked. So when Henley woke up, Cor- Coral removes the gag, and he says, I'll help you kill them if you just let me go. Oh. And he says, okay. Um, and then, um, da, 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 da. so they untie Henley, they go to, and uh, Coral's going to um, sexually assault Curly, and he says to um, Henley, go assault Rhonda. And um, ties them up. So Coral starts to assault Curly, head and, and then Henley grabs Coral's pistol off the mantle, off the thing and shouts you've gone too far dean i can't go on any longer i can't have you kill all my friends and shoots dean coral in the forehead which didn't penetrate his fucking head what this again i know why does this keep happening that's the second story we've heard where a bullet ricochets off of someone's skull yep makes me feel a little better i mean it's insanity yeah um it also makes me think is it the killers like is this a trait of certain types of people when people say you got a real thick skull yeah maybe it's a thing yeah science people guys figure it out science people cure cancer then figure it out (laughs) yeah don't prioritize this please so he shoots dean five more times in the hallway he finally collapses dead there's a fucking photo of that of course but you can't see his face um and the, this murder of Dean Coral ends the worst serial killer case in Houston history. Oof. Wayne uh, Wayne Henley calls the police on himself. They arrive and Henley explained what had happened that night. And the police thought of him as a hero initially because he saved his friends. Uh, and then the story took a turn as Henley began to tell detectives the crazy story of the past three fucking years. Ooh. So ever since they met in 1971 under the command of Dean Coral. He had Henley had helped procure teenage boys, some of whom had been his own friends for Dean Coral to rape and murder. Ugh. 
the detectives were like, fuck you, that's not true. They were totally skeptical. Um, but they went through the crime scene with the house of Dean Coral and they started finding things that were like, oh shit, maybe he's not lying. Um, they found plastic sheeting covering the floors, a plywood board with handcuffs on each corner, which you can see online as well, dildos and other torture devices. And then also his Ford Econoline had a wooden crate with air holes drilled in the sides, pegboard walls, and in the rear of the van were rigged with several... Um, Several several rings and hooks. Ooh. This part of the fucking story in um, last podcast on the left, the shit that Henry Zabrowski <laughs> saying is some of the funniest shit I've ever heard. Yes, um, it's like epic. He's the master. Yeah, there's a lot. Of, you know, there's a lot of triggering shit in there, but that part's great. Okay, and inside the crate were several strands of human hair. They're still skeptical, though. And so Hen- Hen- Henley's like, let me show you something. He leads detectives to a Southwest Houston boat shed rented by Coral, gives them the names of three boys they could find buried in there. That had been reported. And the, the cops were like, well, those boys had been reported missing for three years. And so they start to um, dig. This is the part in Last Podcast on the Left where it's so upsetting and fucked up. Like, I think even Henry was upset at this part because it's so disturbing. Well, there's this document. The only good documentary was uh, on YouTube. It's called 1973 Houston Mass Murders. But be careful because they show them digging bodies out. Yeah. And and the other part that's so insane is they get um, inmates from the local jail to help them dig it out. And you're like, what if you had gotten a DUI and they were like, come dig out. Like, you're going to be fucking scarred for life yo no and everything about that part where it's like they just got some people who are not qualified basically as a punishment to uncover like killing a killing boat shed like the most teenage boys yeah okay okay Okay. so um so they they begin to dig and find a body within minutes they find the first body. Okay, so let's go to Dean Coral. There's a ton of shit about his childhood. I don't think any of it's relevant. It's like the typical kind of shitty childhood, mom and dad divorced, blah, blah, blah. But it's not, I don't think it's that important to the story that I'm telling. <laughs> so I'm not going to fucking talk about it. He ends up in the Heights neighborhood of Houston. And that's where a lot of this takes place. The Heights neighborhood is kind of this poor, um, underprivileged neighborhood. And the, you know, back then children ran amok. Yeah. You do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. Um, so the reason he got his name, the candy man is he worked in his family's candy company. Um, and then in 1965, the candy company moved across the street from an elementary school and he was known to give free candy to local children. I mean, it's just, why not dress up like a clown? You've got everything else horrifying going on. Well, I mean, it, yeah, it's like 1973. They're like, go hang out with that. That nice man who gives you candy. It's Absolutely so suspicious. Yeah. No, it's, it's so not sus- then. But it should be, right? Not then. But like now that we know what we know, it's just like people, it's like people who are like, oh, I'm not trying to catch any fish. I'm just making this huge fishing lure. Right. That, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like, what would make children come around what's, all the time? What's that movie that has, um, What's his name? Matt Dillon and the child, the kids take over the town. Oh, uh, on the, on the edge, over the edge, over the edge. You mean where they're just partying in the suburbs? Like, and yeah, none of then the parents they, are around. Yeah. Yeah. Watch that movie. And that's what to me, it seems like this time was like, it's a good movie, but also you just were out till all, till whenever you wanted to be. You had total freedom. Yeah. 
um, to hang out with fucking perverted. Yeah, there was 30 that, year old men. Yes, it was the thing of if they're an adult, they're in charge. Yeah. If they're an adult, they're fine. Yeah. Like that's all it takes to qualify is you have a job and a car and you don't have like long hippie And hair. you're a good guy or then you're like good. You. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he was known to get free candy out in particular teenage boys and they let he he made a whole rec room for them to hang out in with like a pool table and shit. Oh. Um, he's big and broad shoulders, thick black hair and sideburns. Uh, he was known, in the words of one of the reporters, a pleasant, smiling candy man of the heights. Mm-hmm. Red flag. Aren't they all? Aren't they all? Yeah. <laughs> red fl- I don't know. Red flag. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't... There's a couple pictures of him. There's not a lot. And he just looks like a normal dude. A normal, like, nice-looking guy. Yeah. Creepy. Yeah. He's not, He's the creepiest in that he... Clean cut. Yes. He did it exactly right to not get caught. He... Did it so right. Okay, so in 1967, he befriended 12-year-old David Brooks. He was in sixth grade. Um, his family life was kind of falling apart, and so Brooks was taken under Dean's wing as, like, a mentor almost. He Brooks said about him, he was the first adult male who didn't make fun of him and that he was, like, a father figure, which is insane. Yeah. So as a teen... as When Brooks became a teen, Coral paid him to allow him to perform fellatio on him. And he began living with Dean a lot since he was from this broken home. And I'm sure his family was like, great, he's got an adult role model. Yeah. Um, but according to those who knew Brooks, the teenager wasn't gay. He had a girlfriend who lived in the Heights. But this older man who had known him since he was 12 was like, I, help me. Yeah, he basically, well, that's groom what him. pedophiles do yeah. is they groom, they pick them, they only pick Children who aren't being protected. Yeah, this kid, they say that he was an introspective young kid, so he probably didn't have a ton of friends. His parents were divorced and moved away. They moved away. So, um, and in all of these fucking documentaries and all of these stories, they call Dean Coral homosexual, and I can't fucking. I don't think that's right. I think he's a pedophile. He's a pedophile, and that's not the same thing as being homosexual. Right. He even had a girlfriend. Dean Coral did. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's a pedophile. He's a pedophile. Like that's not homosexual right so that's also i think may it could be too you're reading things from texas in like the 80s maybe where there's not uh, you know it people hadn't caught up all the way to like what what are we really talking about because most pedophiles are straight men yeah that's that's like governmental well i still see it like copied in articles you know the homosexual like just He's a pedophile who liked young boys. So right. it's not, I don't know. It's just that's something not, that irks me. Like, I feel like if I had said that, we'd get an email from someone to be like, that's not, you know, and rightfully correcting so. it. And I totally agree with that. Yeah, exactly. So Dean Coral's first known murder victim is 18 year old Jeffrey Conan on September 25th, 1970. He'd been hitchhiking from the University of Texas and was dropped off near Dean's apartment. And they think that Dean offered him a ride and he gagged him with a cloth and strangled him. Mm. After the murder of Jeffrey Conan, David Brooks, so his his fucking kid who was 15 walks in on Coral in the act of assaulting two teenage boys who Coral had strapped to a plywood torture board and Coral promised Brooks a car in return for his silence he told Brooks 15 years old that he is part of a gay pornography ring he had been paid to send the boys to California to pose for for photos that's what his story was it's so you don't have to worry about it yeah somehow but then later Coral confessed that he had killed the boys and he offered David $200 for any boy he could lure to Coral's apartment. And at this point, 
it seems like Brooks, people say he didn't have a choice. You know, right. he was in now part of it because he had not told about the two boys he had seen him molesting. And also, this is uh, this is a life change that's been introduced by a person he trusted. Yeah. So he doesn't, he hasn't had any other adults in his life that have been reliable, it right. sounds like, or yeah. good people. And now the one person that he sees as a good person is introducing all these kind of variables where he's supposed to believe this is okay behavior. Or it's like, yeah, cut this person who's supported you for the past, you know, few years out of your life or do what's... Or play know, along. Play along. You're not going to kill anyone. Just bring him to him. I mean, it's insane. It's, it's an insane fucking story. But it's a, it's kind of like brainwashing. I Definitely. mean, really, that's, you know, he's getting people... He's not convincing anybody that's like coming from a great background with a lot of solid ground under their feet yeah. which is in, in no way to say if you're from a broken home obviously right. that you would be but it's more of the um he knew who to pick to groom to basically brainwash into living this i way. mean aside from dean coral who's clearly a psychopath it's insane that he was able to get this kid david brooks to fucking do this for him and i i can't wrap my head around it i can't imagine a scenario that i'd ever be okay with that, which means it's a scenario that I can't even imagine. It's yeah. like it, something really insane happened that this kid was okay with it. Right. Or maybe he wasn't okay with it, but what else? He was already in. Yeah. Like he didn't, he had nowhere else to go. Definitely. Okay. Um, on December 13th, 1970, so David Brooks lures two 14-year-old kids named James Glass and Danny Yates. He lures them from a religious rally to Coral's apartment um, you know, the thing of like, hey, let's go party. My, you know, I got some weed and we can hang out at this dude's house. Yeah. The cool older guy. Everyone There's loves a pool it. table. Do you know who it is? It's fucking, um, it's the movie. Oh my God. What's wrong? It's with Matthew McConaughey. It's from, Matthew yeah. motherfucking McConaughey. Yeah. From Days and Confused. Days and Confused. Yes. That's exactly who he is. And the victim is the kid from it with the long hair. Yeah. The little kid, with the, fifth, the new freshman. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. And yes. like everyone's like, Dave, uh, Matthew McConaughey's character's so cool. No, he's a fucking perverted <laughs> pedophile. He's an old man. He's a gross old man. Yeah. He wants to hang out with high school kids. But there is that thing of inclusion. If you are living your whole life, so say it is, let's use the Days and Confused example, and that kid isn't just getting his ass kicked at school, but there is very violent scenes of him getting his ass kicked at home totally. and home being an unsafe place yeah. for him to be. And then you've got Matthew Connie rolling up and being like, hey man, it's chill, come and play pool. Yeah, I'll get in my cool car, I'll drive you around town, we'll go to this bar, play pool. Totally. Yeah, you found, you finally found somewhere to land. Yeah. You don't want to give that up right away. No. But then he, it's almost like he's slowly ebbed away or uh, I don't know. There's a better way to say it, but like, it's almost like I bought him, I bought you a car, you know, like he's just slowly yeah. grinding down this kid's inner identity. Yeah. It's fucked up. I mean, yeah, definitely. So let's, so the police should arrest Matthew McConaughey. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Let it make it so much worse. You know, our tagline. <laughs> Always. Um, so both boys, James Glass and Danny Yates, are tied to opposite sides of Coral's torture board and subsequently raped and strangled. Uh. Uh, six weeks after that double murder on January 30th, 1971, Brooks and Coral find two teenage boys, brothers named Donald and Jerry um, Waldrop, Waldorp, Waldrop, Waldrop. Walking. The boys were taken into the van, driven Coral's apartment, and it's like they don't grab them off the street. They want a party, which is yeah. the scariest part to me. Yeah. 
um, the apartment where they rape, torture, and strangle the brothers. And at this point, Brooks drops out of school. Just, it's, he's 100% with Coral. So, yeah, and I bet you he's, sorry, but I bet you he's, if there's some, you know, like the moral compass inside, he's probably having to met self-medicate so much yeah. just to make all of this okay. Right. It's, and then having a, a normal line. life like school and teachers, no. you just, your brain can't no. wrap around that. There's no going back to sitting in a classroom yeah. after you're doing shit like this. Totally. So between March and May of 1971, Coral abducted and killed three more victims, all of who lived in, in the Heights area as well. His MO in most cases was gruesome torture and rape and he'd sometimes sometimes shoot them sometimes strangle them a couple occasions he'd leave his victims to die by bleeding out from the gunshot wound um and each of these abductions brooks is known to have been a participant again they go a lot further into it if you're okay with gruesome shit in last podcast on the left yeah the other two victims was were 13 year old David Hildegeist and 16-year-old Greg uh, Winkle, and they were abducted and killed together on the afternoon of May 29th, 1971. And so uh, in the case with other parents as well, both sets of parents are frantic to find their kids. They know something is wrong. These are young boys who don't run away. Um, and one of the people who voluntarily offered to distribute posters of the boys uh, was a friend of theirs, 15-year-old neighbor, Wayne Henley, lifelong friend of Hildegeist. So at this point in 71, Brooks introduces Coral to Wayne Henley. Um, remember him from the beginning of the story. He shot and killed Wayne, uh, Dean Coral. Yeah. Uh, and it's possible that Wayne was supposed to be a potential victim, but for some reason they became friends and, uh, Wayne Henley became another accomplice. Uh, Wayne Henley said about him, we hit it off. He was a smart, clean cut, nicely dressed man. He listened to me. He explained things to me. I'll be honest with you. It was important that Dean liked me. He was kind. Wow. I know. Which then explains, is it David Brooks? Yeah. Yeah. Explains his participation. Same thing. Yeah. The value of just being there and like not listening. Being, not being parental, being like the un cool uncle. Yeah. Or just trying to like pay attention a little bit. Yeah. I feel like parents are getting that now. Yeah. Nowadays, like in spades. Yeah. But in the seventies, it was just like your parents were the people that came home and you ate meals with. And they yelled at you. Yeah. <laughs> because it was like, it was also in a, in a lower class neighborhood. So it was probably both parents were working. So they didn't have time to fucking deal with your shit. Yes. And, you yeah. Know, and you were, maybe you were a bad kid, let's say, and they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. You were just one more headache. Yeah. I mean, this, that's how it, it is for some people yeah. and was for a lot of people back then. Yeah. For sure. Um, they hit it off. And when he found out Henley didn't, about the murders, Henley didn't go to the police, even when, um, Coral told him that he had been the person who abducted and killed David Hildegeist, his childhood friend. Uh, Coral, pushed Henley to bring him another boy and he picked Frank Aguirre, a good friend of his, which is so fucking insane. But I think that speaks to the level of psychopath that Dean Coral was because they're like the greatest, like traveling salesman that you've ever met. Like that's, that's what they're like. Like that to me is so dark. I mean, it's fucking crazy and awful, obviously, but like to bring a friend to know that he's going to get, at least he's going to get raped. 
But I mean, I think that the pitch is on Dean Coral's side is like, I will like you even more. Yeah. You will get even more from me, even better. Like, it's, show me it you shows. mean it. Yeah. Almost. Like, show me how much you're Maybe. involved in this. Totally. I mean, whatever psychopaths do to get you to hypnotize you into doing what they want, this guy was good at yeah, it. Yeah. Very good. Obvi- I mean, it's, it's insane. Yeah. Um, okay. So they bring him. Okay, they play the game, which we fucking have heard again again and again, the handcuff game. Handcuff game. The good old handcuff game, the one where Henley and Brooks put on the pair of handcuffs behind their back. They have a secret key, and they're like, see, they're trick handcuffs. You try it. And then he tries it. Nope. And he's he's stuck. Ugh, you can just picture it. It breaks my fucking heart. If you are ever in a scenario, age anything up till any at any point in your life let's say there's no age limit on this game and someone says let's play the handcuff game immediately walk out of the room and call the police kick them in yeah why why else because at the the very least they're a magician so you should call the police anyway (laughs) but there's almost nothing good comes out of the handcuff game don't a don't be alone in a room with a man ever (laughs) unless it's your boyfriend or something don't be alone in a room with a man a strange, especially a strange man, especially if there's handcuffs. It's, it's three times underlined if there's handcuffs. Do you think I'd ever let anyone but like Vince and Steven in this house if I were alone? <laughs> no, I would. T- if someone knocked, I would tiptoe to the door. I would peek out the thing and I'd be like, hell fucking no. Now, what if you had the handcuffs? What if the power was in your hands? I don't know. I would just like handcuff him and paint his nails because I'm not a psychopath. Um, the idea that anyone wants to handcuff anybody is bad. Something bad is about to happen. That's not a game. Let's look for our context clues of bad things happening. Even if they want to do the fucking Chinese finger trap. Still, that's two fingers you don't have. Nope that shit and get the fuck out of there. Goodbye. I hate this birthday party, mom. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) And you're leaving your mom alone with him now. (laughs) What a dick. <laughs> Kids are such assholes. Okay, so they play the handcuff game. When Aguirre puts on the handcuffs, Coral drags the teenager into the bedroom and according to Henley, quote, had his fun with him. Yeah. Can I just tell you, I've been studying this one. I was like, I'm going to do it this week and I had two days to do it. And I'm like, no, you're not. This is too much. And I, so I've been doing it for three weeks and having fucking nightmares. I bet. Like, I'm really glad to get this fucking over with. This one and the Toy Box Killer are like, yeah. I don't, I stopped listening to the Toy Box Killer on last podcast. And last I can't do that. It's, n- it, there's nothing. <sighs> they have there's, recordings of it. The I fact know. that there's recordings of him. Just no. Just don't, you guys, if you're sensitive, don't read the Toy Box Killer no, about it's it. It's the worst. I'll it's never pure, do it. It's pure demonic destruction nothing there's nothing interesting about it it's a person who can destroy people and does very slowly it's horrible yeah so in late 72 they brought 17 year old billy um balk who used to sell uh dean coral's candy door-to-door and his 16 year old friend uh johnny delone 14 months later coral henley and brooks grabbed billy's younger brother michael who was on his way to get a haircut how fucking sad is that this parent lot the parents lost first their kid first kid goes missing then they grab his little brother Ugh. and he goes missing and the parents know something is wrong in a lot of the inner in a lot of the documentaries they're like they thought they were runaways or like they were poor and they didn't care at that point if they were runaways which from what i've read and what i can tell it's not true his parents knew something was wrong yeah 
So they captured and killed a 20-year-old father who had been living in the Heights and was hitchhiking. They snatched Homer Garcia, a boy from Southwest Houston, who was going to driver's ed with fucking Henley. And then two boys who had just moved into an apartment across the street from Henley's house. Then it was 15-year-old Billy Lawrence, and he was forced to write a letter to his father saying, Daddy, I hope you know... I, at the end, he's saying, I'm going to go away for a little while. I got this job. I'll be back in town. And then he wrote at the end, Daddy, I hope you know I love you, your son, Billy. Um, he was kept alive for three days on the plywood because Henry later said Coral, quote, really liked him. Um, next Monster. was Rusty Branch. And uh, in a total, so in total, 28 boys from the Houston area disappeared in a three fucking year span. 28? 28 boys, aging from 9 to 21. 11 went missing from the same junior high school. That's 11 teenage boys, not teenage, 13, 13. 14 year old boys, 12 year old boys from the same junior high school. Red fucking flag, principal, whatever yeah. your name is. Where is anybody doing anything? Principal Dave. Fucking call the police. Um, and at least 20 of them had been residents of either the Heights or the adjoining neighborhoods. Many parents of the boys were, had desperate searches for their kids. Some took out, so there were people who took out a loan to hire a, protect, a pr- private detective, offered, and remember, these are people who don't have money, right. offered a large reward, called the police constantly. They employed multiple psychics. In the end, police were even aware that anything was amiss. Of course they did the fucking, they're all runaways. Yeah. 28 boys in three years and they're all runaways. So it was the norm, though, in the 70s, especially kids who came from the Heights, um, who police just wouldn't even look into it. Okay, about the police. I don't want to blame them uh, and dismiss them as being shitty at their jobs because there was a lot going on at the time, which made it a perfect hunting ground for Coral. Uh, Houston's crazy domineering police chief Herman Short he believed in an old school way of law enforcement he Houston was exploding in population there was a fucking ton of money so there were really rich people there and that's who they really cared or he really cared about they had an understaffed police force in 1970 they had half the minimum to police the population Whoa! and this is in places where there's a lot of crime going on Uh, and they underpaid the cops federal funds were available but short refused any federal assistance calling it a handout (gasps) oh no 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 it's like the wild fucking west get out of here the workload was so crazy that many cops just gave up and they played a game of who could leave work the earliest so parents who had lost their sons on one side of the Heights had no idea that there were parents on the other side of the Heights who had also lost sons. So there was, it was just a disorganized, insane, hopeless, hopeless. Situation. The thought of being a parent and not being, I've always thought about that with the runaway thing where it's like, you know, your kid better than anyone. There's something wrong. Also just that the idea that there essentially what it sounds like is there was almost no police force right. for them. Right. Which is horrifying. Talk about this is an amazing Fincher. Here's your next movie. Dude. Because it's the Candyman, which in and of itself is a huge, horrifying story. Like the but, fact the name is like spot on. It's one of those like classic. Yeah. But then on top of that, and he's so cannot, he's clearly so smart. Yes. Dean Coral is so smart and the opportunity he he got lucky. He got lucky that it was that period of time. And that he was this master manipulator. Yeah. 
But that part, I remember when Marcus was talking about that part in their thing and the details they gave about all those things. It was mind-blowing where it's like there's always... You know, it's like the same thing happened in the late 70s in L.A. In L.A. in the late 70s, there was four serial killers working at one time. Jesus Christ. And it was the same thing of the cops didn't talk. The, the, they were all competing with each other so the, they wouldn't do cross-county communication. Yeah. They wouldn't do... Well, they didn't so- have a lot of ways of... Even, even if they wanted to, there was no internet. You couldn't call and be like, do you have someone who was strangled? And it's like there's yeah. tons of other things going on. Yeah. At the same time. There's all kinds of stuff and it's all, uh, yeah, everything's like, write a letter. Oh, yeah. do you want to find out if something happened in the valley? Yeah. Write a letter. Right. So the one thing that Chief Short did do in an attempt to make sure the crimes didn't happen after they found out about it was order his officers to raid the city's gay bars. <laughs> uh-huh. Problem solved. Problem solved. Yay. All Good right. job. Good job. Okay. Let's go back to the beginning of the story. 1973, Wayne Henley leads skeptical police to the boat shed that Dean Coral rented. They start to dig with the help of fucking inmates. And they found the first body in a matter of minutes, then two more, then another six underneath them mm. stacked up. Henley also led authorities to a location near a wooded area near Sam Rayburn Reservoir, where four bodies were uncovered. The day after Henley's arrest, David Brooks turns himself in to the police. Henley hadn't even mentioned him. He didn't rat him out. I know. And together, they led police to a location on the on High Island. It's like a there's like a scenes of them digging in at a beach. It's crazy. Wow. But like people camping and there's fucking bodies. So uh, they found six more bodies at High Island. And within a week, the remains of 27 young males had been found. Wow. A week after the first bodies are found, despite a few thousand missing persons reports having come in from 1968 to 1970s, the authorities, they call off the excavations, Mm -hmm. despite the fact that even Henley and Brooks told them they knew where other bodies could be located. They just decided that's enough? Well, I think they didn't want the death toll to get higher. Because it looks so bad. Yeah. Oh, fuck. I think that they were, like, already under so much scrutiny by the media that they stopped. Uh, can I just say this? to people? If you're ever in this situation where you're in charge of something that's going to total shit... Mm-hmm. The only thing you can do at a certain point is let the truth come out. Yeah. Because you pretending like that idea is so to me such a like male uh in his sixties, I'm in charge of this, watch listen to me, everybody. It's narcissistic in a way that I can't put myself in those parents' shoes that they might want to find. Like I don't understand what anyone else is he's prioritizing what it looks like right. for him as opposed to what it feels like for it, the victim. He probably can't even begin to comprehend other people's emotions well and also but also he's in a situation that he's not trained for he's never even thought could right. happen but the op- and he screwed screwed up from the get-go yeah and and but the when you're at that at that point let it all come out because yeah. you have to think of like long term how it looks and also what your actual job is your yeah. job is job is to protect people you can't now pretend like you protected anybody because yeah. that that's off the boards entirely yeah why am i talking about this i'm not giving advice to this fucking sheriff <laughs> if, from, from 40 years ago it, but it bums me out because i know you watch people make these decisions where it's like okay well now i'm just gonna scramble to cover my own ass it drives me crazy yeah where it's like it's that part's over yeah 
You're it's over. The, the thing, like my therapist will always say when I get these calamity I, things in my head of everything's going to fall apart, she's like, okay, what do you, st- what can they not take away from you? And it's like, they can't take away Vince. They can't take away my cats. They can't take my family. I'm healthy still. It's like, you, it's going to suck and you're going to look like a piece of shit, but it's going to be okay in the long run. Don't add to it. Don't fucking add to it by lying don't lie don't lie because here's the other thing too it's that thing where you you can you can lie obviously and in the moment you're gonna think that that's a good fix and you're out of it yeah you got out of you're it. up you're tripling down yeah. on how bad you look when you tell a lie because here's the thing and i just this is a recommendation lying in general as a, as a great huge liar all my life you always get caught mm-hmm. and it's humiliating and you look 10 times yeah. worth, worse than you actually are. Yeah. Cause you think there's a side, you think there's a shortcut. You think you can get out of it by just saying something. Please just know there's always someone around who knows the truth and knows you're lying. And, and you're doubling down. You're absolutely yeah. right. Because then you can't back, come back and, and be like, okay, this is what actually happened. Right. It's like, but you also lied about it. Right. So you're even a bigger piece of shit. You're just making everything worse. Like the best thing, and, and this was like training from, from, high stress TV daily TV production yeah. where it's just come clean immediately and start fixing it. Yeah. That's the only thing that was ever solution. You never got in trouble for fucking up as long as you were in the solution. Yeah. But when you lie and you go like, Oh, someone else told me, well then you're delaying the fix yeah. and delaying the fix is really the worst sin of all. Cause yeah. lying is just, that's just for your ego. Yeah. But you have to fix it. Yeah. The 70s. The 70s? Stop lying. The 80s need to go to prison. The 70s need to stop lying. The 90s? I'm not ready to talk about the 90s. We'll We'll go there. We can't give you all our advice in one episode or you'll never listen again. Listen, we have a lot more fucking advice. Look and listen to our advice and take it. Anyways. Right. (laughs) In case there's time travel. Okay. So Henley and Brooks get life sentences. They're still alive. Go go back in this 1973 Houston mass murders video on YouTube. They are the cameras are rolling while they're excavating bodies, and Henley is talking. Henley is telling reporters what happened. He couldn't stop talking. It's I bet it's pretty incredible. There's a video. There's a part where he calls his mom, "Mama, I killed Dean." There's a part of him on the phone with his mom. As like cameras are recording yep. it. Jesus Christ. Yep. Well, also because I bet you those kids were in complete trauma mode. They were like in shock. Yeah. For that years. It's over. I mean, yeah, it's over. It's crazy. Okay. In 2012, a Polaroid of a young boy handcuffed and screaming. I've seen it. It's no. Horrifying. Don't look at those. I have to. Don't. Uh, I mean. I have to. It's my fucking psyche. Okay. But just. Well, don't, don't do that damage to yourself. I've been nightmaring. Yeah, of course. You um, have. It turns up in some of Henley's possessions. And when presented with the photo, Henley said he didn't recognize the boy, which is, if it's true, it means there's at least one other victim, a 29th that's yet to be identified. Oh, my God. It's also guessed that there could have been past accomplices who became victims themselves. That would make sense. Just as Henley might have as well. And based on his skill and M.O. of the first killing, it's very doubtful that was actually his first, the kid who was hitchhiking. Yeah. And I completely believe it. Right. There's no way. A reporter named Barbara Gibson and Dr. Sharon um, Derrick, a forensic anthropologist with the medical examiner's office in Houston, now are working to identify the three victims that have yet to be named. These women are fucking awesome. 
And then to end it, I just want to quote Willie Glass, the brother of Jimmy Glass, who was who disappeared or who was killed, said Dean Coral didn't just kill 27 boys. He killed 27 families. And that's my story wow. of the Candyman, Dean Coral. That's and now amazing. I don't ever want to think about it again. Yeah. Yeah. Until David Fincher makes the movie. <laughs> The Finch. Oh God. That yeah, that would be. That was great. I mean, that's um that's a that's the best case scenario you can do of there's some details in that in that digging part oh, yeah. that will be with me forever. Yeah. It's I definitely I mean, there's some genital mutilation that I didn't talk about. There's some fucking torture well, also, or torture stuff that I just can't. And also, you know what it is. If you've seen one thing, if you've accidentally read or seen something that's about this, that's what it is. Yeah. You know what it is. You don't need more of it. Yeah. It's, I mean, I understand the thing of like your curiosity gets the best of you, but I th- I stopped doing that a little while ago only because it becomes all the same. And then you're just basically doing specifics of faces or hair colors or whatever, but it's the same horrible scenario. Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, I do the thing where I keep going back to that Polaroid they found and I look deep into this kid's eyes to see if I can, what I can suss out of it. You know what I mean? And like, he looks like he's in a box or it's a blurry photo and you can see like a there's a toolbox next to him and I just try, I keep putting myself in his shoes and I can't do that. Like it's, well, there's I no, feel like I have point. to, I, the point but I mean, what, to what value, to what end? It's just being empathetic of the stories that I'm, you can telling. be empathetic and know nothing about it. Yeah. I'm empathetic. And all I did was listen to what you told me. Yeah. I mean, it's horrifying, but yeah. that's also, you know, everybody has different experiences with actually looking at the things. Yeah. Um, just don't get confused about what, you know what I mean? Yeah. What I need to do. Do, do what's good for you. Yeah. Nightmares aren't good for you. Yeah. That's sure. not the point. Yeah. Oh, the candy man. Oh, the candy man. Hey, Everyone will suffer under the candy man. Well, mine is, um, uh, this is actually, it's not firsthand. I guess it's kind of secondhand, but. I've wanted to do this one for a while. I just didn't know any details. And I, when I would look it up, I, it was always very vague. There wasn't enough story. And then, um, one of the shows that is on my DVR that comes up every couple times, every once a month, maybe it's a show called Demons in the City of Angels. Ooh. Have you heard of it? No. Okay. So that's where, um, when I did the publicist that got murdered. Yeah. Um, it was from that. That's when I first saw that story. And I was like, Oh, I remember that. Um, well, this one is the story I wanted to do. And it came up one day where I was like, Oh my God. And it's the murder at the silent movie theater. Do you remember this? Yeah. Okay. So on demons in the city of angels narrated by an incredibly intense man named AJ Benza, (laughs) who I believe himself was a crime reporter or I don't, I'm not sure what, I don't know that much about him, but I think he is, has a true crime background, yeah. but now, um, he's hosted lots of shows. I've seen him on other things, but now he narrates this show and it's all crimes that happen in LA. I love it. I need to watch it. It's pretty good. But this one, I was just so happy because it's the te- the detailed versions of this story. Yeah. So it's 1997 Los Angeles. Um, I moved here in 1994. When did you move here? 98. 98. Mm-hmm. So this was kind of like, 
one of the first big bad. Th- I mean, I moved here the year of the earthquake and uh, OJ the and riots, um, riots, all that stuff happened Jeez. right around the same time as yeah. when I moved here. Um, so this was kind of the next big one. Yeah. And this there's a silent movie theater on Fairfax at um, Melrose, just below Melrose. I think it's like two blocks below right now. Um, it's in flux because it is. It was bought by a company called CineFamily that was doing these amazing... Their calendar was incredible. I am a member. I know tons of people who are members. And they would show amazing either new movies or, um, you know, directors, whole weekends of directors' films, all this stuff. It was this... It was really a fun, creative place. And then... And then they very recently, I think it was like three months ago, I got an email saying all films, all like of all of our plans are suspended right now because these huge sexual harassment like accusations came down the pike and they're like, until we know what's going on, we're not doing anything anymore. With the with the heads of Cine family. Yeah. The people who are running it. So I don't know details about any of those things. And that's not what my story is about. Mm -hmm. But it's a bummer because this movie theater has had issues since I mean, like, I, I'm very interested, yeah. interested to know what was there before. Yeah. Because it's never not had bad vibes. Yeah. It's like something's going on. Yeah. Because there's never not something, some yeah. issue. So we'll go to, this is the night, January 17th, 1997. Um, and this is the anniversary of the sixth year of the reopening of the silent movie theater. So, um, I think, I think before this, uh, it, it, the movie theater had been built by Dorothy and John Hampton. They bought an empty lot there on Fairfax wow. and they built the theater from the ground up. And, um, so this guy, uh, Larry Austin got a job at the theater when he's 19 years old. He was a local kid. He grew up in the Fairfax district. Um, but he was gay and in his teens, his father rejected him. His father basically kicked him out of the house and he, um, the, the Hamptons basically took him in like family. So wow. he started working at the silent movie theater, in its original form when he was 19 How years cool old. How cool would that be? Yeah. And he was super into, as many people, when you live in Los Angeles, there are a lot of people, it's all about kind of who you know and yeah. how connected you are to the movie business yeah. or TV, but movies are right. a little fancier. Um, and this, I think Larry always wanted to be in show business in some way and working at the silent movie theater. He was, you know, he yeah. did everything for this family from when he was 19. He was with the Hamptons for 37 years. Holy shit. So he really was like a son of theirs yeah. until the theater closed in 1979. Um and it was basically, it was just kind of a place where people who cared about film and, you know, movie buffs and stuff would go to watch silent films. Yeah. But it wasn't like doing, you know, yeah. a great business or whatever. So they ended up having to close. Um, and then in May of 1990, the, um, John Hampton died. Um, and, after he died, Dorothy Hampton was really depressed and Larry Austin convinced her to reopen the theater. Mm. He thought that would be the perfect thing for her. Um, and she agreed. And so, uh, 
they decide that they're going to go in. They, the, the, the theater was basically, um, kind of left just standing for 10 years with nothing going on in it. So they have to hire a contractor to come in and basically help them rebuild the theater so they can reopen Mm -hmm. it. And the contractor is a guy named James Van Sickle. Um, and, uh, as they work on the theater and slowly rebuild it, Larry Austin, who at this point is, I think he is in his early sixties and Van Sickle, who is in his late thirties, mm-hmm. start having an affair. The contractor and the guy who was family, basically like a son. Yes. Got it. Exactly. Okay. Um, the guy whose idea was to yeah. reopen and with the widow, uh, Dorothy Got Hampton it. and, um, so they basically put all of their work and Larry lives in the apartment above the movie theater. Cool. I didn't even know there was one. I know. How awesome. Don't you love that idea? Yes. Like when you go into the theater, the popcorn stand is on the mm-hmm. right. There's a set of stairs, um, that's over there too. Right. And I think that goes up to the projection booth, oh, but yeah. I like to picture yeah. that that also then like, <laughs> you walk past the projection booth, then there's to like your bed. a little gingham, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a cot and a kitchen table. Oh, um, yeah, I love it. But I don't really know because I haven't been up there, but that's what it, that's how it is in my mind. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so basically on the night of the reopening, I'm sorry. So six years after the reopening. So they reopen it. Everything goes great. Dorothy is thrilled. And basically they're back in business. Yay. And, um, but eventually Dorothy has to get moved into, uh, an old folks home anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, so on the sixth anniversary of the reopening of the silent movie theater, um, Larry decides he's going to play the first movie that played there when it originally opened, Aww. which is the movie Sunrise. Um, but there's also a bunch of short films that he's playing, and it's kind of just like a big, you know, celebration yeah. of the silent movie theater. Um, so this is January 17th, 1997, if I haven't already said that 17 times. Okay. So that night, there's like 60 people in the theater. Um, which is packed for that. If you picture 60 people, Definitely. that's like fucking wall to wall. Yeah. Um, half an hour into the program. And also Larry, when they reopened it, and I don't know if he did this before, but he definitely did it in the, uh, on the reopening in 1990. He used to go up and introduce every night, every movie, everything in a tuxedo. Oh, I love him. Yeah. So this was like his, really his life. And people, really famous people used to go to that theater yeah, to I watch bet. movies. It I was bet. kind of like... um you know, it was like a very hipster thing yeah. of like, I'm into movies. I'm into fucking silent yeah. movies. I know the owner. He's so cool. Whatever, yeah. whatever. Exactly. So Larry goes up and he's like, tonight it's a Buster Keaton feature, whatever. And he like, basically, if you don't know that much about silent film, you were still introduced and kind yeah. of brought into that world in this really lovely way. And he it's was like, like his- he made them special. Yeah. You're not just going to see a movie. It's a production. Yes. Love. And he, it's like old Hollywood. Yeah. And that was the his tuxedo whole is like the crowning glory yeah is that a thing he's like like a nightly he had a job where he got to wear a tuxedo every night totally he was into it um and and just so you know after they redid the whole theater uh larry austin kept james van sickle on as his projectionist so van sickle was interested in films i think or at least knew enough to become the projectionist but basically this they this relationship grew up out of them rebuilding the silent movie theater and Larry Austin's friends said he was over the moon. I mean, he, he fucking gets this hot, young, beefy contractor. contractor. Um, 
and they're working on his the love of his life this project you know that he's yeah. worked on all of his life he they said he was so thrilled there's a friend of his is in the um, demons in the city of angels where he just says like he would look at him like when he talked like he hung the moon I mean he was just mm. completely in love and they lived in the little apartment well, together over the movie theater and that's the end right and, they and that's the ever end after. and that's all I have to tell you they about adopted today two children from an un- wait really quick yeah um something terrible happens so <laughs> On this, the night of the six no, year anniversary, it's like me with the story. Don't tell me. Don't tell me yeah. about. Don't tell me about the crime scene photos. On the night of the six year anniversary, Larry goes up tonight. We're going to watch Sunrise and then all these other short films and da da da. He goes back out into the lobby, into the ticket booth, and about half an hour into the program, a guy gets up and comes out and says he wants to buy tickets for a future showing. There's a girl named Mary Giles, I think her last name is pronounced, Giles or Giles, and she's 19 years old. She works at the concession stand, and she's like, oh, you need to talk to Larry about buying future tickets, and when the door opens to that ticket booth that's in the front of the theater... Mm-hmm. Um, the guy pulls a gun, a 357 Magnum, out of his pocket and tells Larry he wants all the money from the ticket booth. Mm. So Larry gives him all the money. He pulls everything out of the cash register and gives it to him and comes out of the booth. And with Mary, uh, he hands the money over and the guy with the gun takes the money, drops it and shoots Larry in the face. In the face. In the fucking face. He shot him... Uh, once in the face, Larry goes down and then he turns and shoots him like, I think three more times. Oh my God. Just like to make sure he's dead. No. Then he turns to Mary no, Giles no. and shoots her twice in the chest. She's just a fucking girl working at the. She's just a girl working at the I movie didn't theater. I know that. Yeah. The way I pictured it in my head all the time is like so much different than it actually. That is. it happened in the theater? Well, because also. And I didn't know this until the first time I went to the silent movie theater. It's fucking tiny. Yes. The, there is no, it's not like, you know, your fucking IMAX theater. It's a tiny little space. Yeah. A tiny office in the front. Yeah. So this is all close quarters. Yes. It's very close quarters. Like it feels almost New York style course. Yeah. Close quarters. It's a, it's a mini like art house movie theater. Yeah. And when you're there, like, that's where I went to go see um, Zodiac. Right. When they redid it. And it was perfect because you could see it perfectly. There was no bad seats and the place was packed. So it was like everyone was excited to see that movie. It's like a small town movie theater, reminds me of. Which is like one screen. That's it. Yeah. Anyways. He shoots Mary. He fucking shoots Mary also. Oh, honey. And then runs out through the movie theater. So he has a front door. He can run out and be right on Fairfax. Why didn't he do that? He ran through the movie theater, shot <gasps> into the air while these people are watching the movie, and then runs out the back door where the patio is. Oh, my God. So everyone in the theater witnesses this guy with his hood pulled up, shooting into the air. Of course, everyone freaks out. Yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, the police come. Mary gets um, taken to the hospital, and she survives. Oh, good. Two to the fucking chest, and Mary survives. Two to the chest? Two to the chest. Yes. Girl. Okay. So, she interviewed in the in the episode. No, okay. Um, everyone was so freaked out by this. I completely remember it happening. I remember everybody talking about it. And at the time, we had just started doing stand up comedy shows at Largo, which is five down blocks the, down the street. That's so scary. Yes. 
so one of the first so the guy that owns Largo which is now at a different much larger yeah. location is a guy named Mark Flanagan he's the owner operator and he's one of those he's an Irishman from Belfast he's full of shit <laughs> His eyes are dark brown. He's full of shit. And he is one of my favorite people on the planet. He's yeah. one of my closest friends. Oh and he's the God. kind of person that starts to talk to you when you very first meet him. Like you've already been talking for 20 minutes. I love it. It's my favorite. It's the kind of person that's just like, anyway. Yeah. And he, Keep this up. is one of the first stories he ever told me. What? Because after the shooting, um, they had just opened Largo at that location, which is now, I think it's a bar called The Dime. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. You're probably right. It's, and now it's a very hipster area. It doesn't look the same at all. They like gutted it. Oh, really? They redid the whole thing? I think. Oh, I haven't been in there. I could make that up. I don't um, know. But they had just opened Largo and they were just starting to get like the music acts every night and stuff. And, um, James Van Sickle came down and told Flanagan what happened. Like Larry got shot. He was murdered. Mm. We don't know what's happening. The police are investigating it. Um, the carpenter to- was telling him this. What's that? The carpenter was the, telling the Flanagan exactly. this? Yeah. This Flanagan telling me, telling the story of the guy coming down. I don't and know saying, why I made him a carpenter, but. Well, that's what a contractor is. Okay. He can just do more than carpentry. Right. So he basically comes down and says, we want to have um, a memorial uh, fundraiser. Um, is there any anything you can do to help? And Flanning's like, well, you can have it here. Um, so they have a memorial oh, fundraiser shit. for Larry Austin and for the silent movie theater at Largo. Oh my god In March of 1997 Were you there? No This oh. was before Just say yes We <laughs> But remember the lies They get oh, right, found right, out Right 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 Because then the seven people From Largo are like I was there You weren't there You absolutely weren't there Um but he he was like, well, of course, this is these yeah. are our neighbors are and people. we want to be good people. And we just open this business sure. like we want to play ball, whatever. It was Flanagan and John Bryan, the the famed musician oh. who also was kind of like ha- had I don't think he was an owner, but he was like, you know, this was his home yeah. club. And he and he, of course, wanted to help in any way. So I think part of the benefit was John played and they got other musicians to play and they raised a bunch of money and gave it to the silent movie theater um, in, you know, Larry Austin's name. Yeah. Well, it turns out the same night that they have this, which was uh, March 12th of 1997, is the same night that the police begin to surveil James Von Sickle <gasps> because he is the prime suspect in this murder. <gasps> but he doesn't know it and nobody else knows it either. <gasps> but as they were looking into after this crime and they start looking into who who's involved in this, James Van Sickle is the one person named on Larry Austin's will of who the now what also nobody knew was the movie theater, the, the land and all of the films in inside the whole thing was worth over a million dollars. I bet that land, man, if you own that land. Oh yeah. In LA, in LA, right on Fairfax. Yeah. So holy shit, they start looking into James Van Sickle's past and his like basically his record and they find out uh, he in 1988 was charged with attempted murder in a Compton um, case, but it was dismissed after the victim ap- uh, failed to appear in court. Um, so that just that just went that away. That goes away if the victim... Mm. In 1989, he was sentenced to four years in Orange County for um, selling drugs, transporting and selling narcotics. Um, 
he served half that time in at Chino and um he also had uh check fraud um uh charges that were pending mm-hmm. um so i guess they were still working on that he had several aliases he had multiple california driver's licenses wow um fraudster yeah and in 1996, so the year before, mm-hmm. Larry Austin had filed a police report accusing Van Sickle of assault and battery. Um, oh, sorry, assault and robbery. Um, wow. But he ended up dropping the charges. So clearly, this relationship was not as yeah. uh, lovey-dovey as Dude. everyone thought. Yeah, guilty. Yeah. And there was some serious shit going on. Um uh, Detective John Miller, who worked on the case, said they, that they then came to understand that they actually had a very on and on again, off again relationship. Mm. And that was stormy. And that sometimes Van Sickle went and lived in Carson, uh, when he was not living with Larry. Mm. So it wasn't full time like everybody kind of thought. Can we stop having on again, off again relationships, people? Just off again, um? <laughs> Just off it. <laughs> if that's what you're going through. Off the relationship. <laughs> Okay, well, Vince and I offed again once, and then on again and again. Everybody does. You're allowed one time. Sure. Otherwise, your friends are so sick of you talking about it. If it's on again, off again, it just is... Everybody is knows it's a dead in the water situation. You're just like, you're needy. You just can't let it go. (laughs) Okay, Advice from Karen and Georgia. (laughs) So, there's so much. Don't listen. Uh, But as they're looking into it, they also find that Larry Austin has a bit of a murky past himself. In 1983, he was convicted of one count of grand theft as a result of an embezzlement case Mm -mm. at a company that he worked for. And he actually served 22 months in state prison. And then also... Um, they start to look into his ownership of the theater because Dorothy Hampton, who owned it, um, the widow John Hampton, um, she... It being in the convalescent home, they didn't track any money going to her from the theater, even though she was the original owner. So, uh, they, they were afraid that they, it looked like he had Dorothy Hampton's blessing in this reopening and basically in the ownership of it, but, um, they didn't have any, uh, they didn't have any, Proof, he, she hadn't signed anything over to him yeah. that they could prove. So they end up freezing the IRS and the a- LAPD end up freezing Larry Austin's assets and, uh, putting the third, the theater in a conservatorship until they can figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. Because it's not even like, oh, he was killed for the theater because it might not have even been his, right. his to give to anybody. Definitely. So it turns out. There's a break in the case. What, they put a sketch in the newspaper of the guy that held up the place. And somebody sees that and comes forward to the police and tells the whole story, which is Van Sickle hired this guy who ended up doing the murder. Um, and his name was, it turns out, his name was Chris, Christian Rodriguez. He was also 19 years old. Shit. And Van Sickle hired him, uh, promised to pay him 25 grand to kill Larry Austin Jesus. and make it look like a robbery. Yeah. And that's why he also shot Mary um, Giles. Right. Because it was like, oh, what would a robber do in this case? So he just fucking took another person out for free. What well, a well uh, Van Sickle said he was going to pay him an extra five grand to kill any, to basically to make it look like a robbery and kill anyone else that was there. Oh, that's horrible. I'm so glad Mary survived. Yeah. It's insane. 
it it's so insane it's so fucking crazy it's so, so heartless well and w- what it was was he found out he was named in larry austin's will as being the person that was going to sure. inherit everything so he would have but he apparently was in s- such debt and in like yeah. such financial straits he wasn't going to larry austin was 74 years old at this time yeah and he he couldn't even wait to inherit yeah He's like, I want all of it now. Dude. Um, he was the projectionist the night of the murder. He was there. He came downstairs. Nuh-uh. He was the one that hit the alarm that got the police there when he <gasps> went downstairs and found Larry's that body. That is such a creepy detail. Yes. So he was there pretending to be all upset and freaked out. He told all the friends the stories and all the friends were like, we thought he was like completely traumatized and that this was just as much of a thing against him. Perfect that he was there. You know, like it just seems like he's less, if he wasn't there, it'd be like, what, what, where was he? But yeah. Anyways, it's kind of more proof that he was like right there making sure it all went on. Um, so and essentially, he didn't pay. Afterwards, he didn't pay Christian the money. Uh-uh, don't do that. Yeah. And so that's why that guy, whoever the anonymous person was that came forward, was basically someone who knew Christian Rodriguez and was like, he was supposed to pay this money. He didn't do it. Like, you know. Sure. Um, so they, when they go find Christian Rodriguez, of course, Rodriguez completely turns on totally. um, James Van Sickle. Uh so in April of 1999, Christian Rodriguez is found guilty of murder and sentenced to life without um, parole. And he was also convicted of the attempted murder of Mary Giles. Good. And um, Van Sickle was also sentenced to life without parole. Wow. Neither of them got the death pe- penalty. Um, and Mary Giles survived and testified against but, Christian Rodriguez yes. in court. She's like, that's the man that shot me Girl. two times in the chest. Jesus. Insanely She's enough. a fucking badass. Insane. So when all that happens, like the cops come to Flanagan and they ended up, the cops talked to them. We're like, are you in on it? With no. Them? Because your they, friend Flanagan. Yes. They, hi- they, the cops came almost immediately after the fundraiser because they're like, how come you're giving yeah, money to this guy? Yeah. And they're like, oh, we're trying to be good neighbors. They're immediately like looped in on it and have to basically go like, yeah, we don't know him. We just thought we'd be nice. Yeah. It does look like they're like, yeah, let's start a fundraiser. It does yeah, look let's get like more money for you or whatever. Kind of in on it. I mean, they had to prove they weren't. Yeah. They had nothing to do with it and didn't really Fuck. know the guy. Which is one of my favorite Like when Flanagan told me that story I was crying laughing Because he's like We're like basically faking it And trying to yeah. be nice And like tr- like sure of course we care Yeah And then immediately they're just like They're like we just started this business Yeah And now we're under investigation Yeah For murder Yeah Now we're in on it I love it Um, One of the saddest things And the, the like final thing That I put at the end of this um, Is in his court file, there was a forgery charge that James Van Sickle had that they had a letter from um, Larry Austin attached to it uh, that was attesting to James Van Sickle's good character, Aww. trying to get him out of the forgery charge. Because he loved him. Because he really did love him. That's so sad. It's very sad. I want to see photos of them. Uh, I'll look it up. Yeah, you can. Me and my photos, man. <laughs> you sure do. You're just you love use a my photo. fucking imagination. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Wow. That's that. Oh, that's amazing. Because I everyone knows that murder. It reminds me of the Zanku chicken murder where it's like, there's this like iconic place in LA and it's like, here's this fucking insane story behind it. Yes. And there are people like, there was a guy that was trying to make a documentary about Larry Austin because of, it was that kind of those early days of like, back when, you know, Larry Austin would be like, everyone would know who he is and he'd have a website these days. But back then it was like, you had to be, that was back in the, you know, I like them first days where everything was word of mouth. Yeah. If you like something cool, it's because a cool person told you about it. It was a secret underground thing. Yeah. That you had to stumble upon and know about like comic book shops and all these record stores and yeah so there's this guy that was and this is in the episode of demons and city of angels there's a guy that was trying to make a documentary about larry austin for years and he was a big fan of the silent movie theater and he this is before he got killed this is before wow and he would be like i just want to like follow you around and whatever so this guy was there to attest because he had started this documentary and he was kind of there he knew all the players he like knew everything that was going on that's crazy yes yeah. Like, and did he ever finish it? Because what a fucking crazy finish to it. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I mean, yeah. Because now the finish is, oh, that guy got murdered. Yeah. So I don't totally. think, yeah. I don't think so. Probably not. Yeah. That's um, not what he wanted. That's not the direction he wanted to go. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, it's so horrifying. Yeah. But I mean, also, if he did, that would be kind of crazy. It could be like, guess what happened? Because to me, the creepiest time is after someone gets murdered, and before anybody finds out who did it, there's all these people who are pretending. And it's like this guy, James Van Sickle, had to pretend to be the heartbroken, shocked, traumatized boyfriend for for months, like basically up until who for months. Who can do that? Yeah. Those people are scary. Yeah. Well, if you don't have a conscience, then it's easy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Anyway. Well, shit, that was great. Thanks. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> Thank you for sharing, Karen. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Mm. Yeah. My pleasure. Um, happy things this week. Oh, yes. What you got? This is super dumb, but I think it's a small, like, there's so many things I want to fix my dude to fix my house. Mm-hmm. And most of them are very large. And so I do that thing where if I have a bunch of things to do, I don't do anything because it all becomes very overwhelming. Oh, my God. Every. Yes. Right. Yes. So you're just like. So, so don't do any of it. Don't do anything because, oh, it's so hopeless. Yeah. And blah, blah, blah. And how whatever. do you pick one thing? Yeah. Oh my God. Right. Because I'm like, oh, I need to repaint my house. I need to fix. There's tons of stuff that I need a, contra- a contractor for. Mm. Oh, my God. Don't do it. <laughs> but instead, I was getting other shit at Target. This is not a commercial. But I found a lamp at Target. Like just a standing lamp to go in, into my front room where there's never good light. You have be careful of light in your house and in your surroundings. This is freaking me out. Go on. Okay. Did we get the same lamp? A, my thing that made me happy this week was going to Target at 8 a.m. this morning. No. B, in my car is a standing lamp. No. Is it brass colored? Yes. <laughs> is that like a clear shade? We got the same like lamp. Clear shade? No. See-through glass shade? No, I saw that one though. I got the one that looks, that looks basically like a desk lamp. What the fuck? Yes. How yeah. did we? Okay, because, well, here's the our thing. Our periods are synced and our, <laughs> our targets are synced and yeah. our lamps are synced now. Yes. This is our new life. This is our life. Hi. You're my husband. Hi, Hi. my wife. <laughs> um, 
I was just going to say that little change of just yeah. trying to make it look slightly nicer in the room I'm mostly in. Yeah. It puts me in a great mood. And, and because I did that, when I got home from, um, Toronto, I looked at the pile of mail on my counter, which is just, I assume it's supposed to be there. And it just like, <laughs> it gets kind of high. And then mm. I go like this and it gets really high oh again. God, yeah. I got rid of all of it. Girl, I need to do that. Yep. And that's how I found that check. Remember when I texted yeah, you? I'm oh, like, yeah. Hey, I should rip this up. Right. But I want to double check that because it was like laying that's on so top funny. of that pile. What the fuck, man? Clear what? your piles, guys, clear your piles and get like one new thing that's going to make you feel good. L- light. You see this place at night it's so dim and it presses the shit out of me yeah like yeah Ooh, let's get that lamp up here yes help me carry it steven go grab that lamp so wait so i just stole yours because that no, was no, gonna no. be yours I lo- the, this you know what my happy thing is that we just did that <laughs> yay that we just did that samesers that our period sank this week <laughs> i know that's gross everyone tmi but i got so excited <laughs> <laughs> and had to text you. Is that gross? I wrote back, I'm so sorry. And then she wrote back, the ultimate sign of friendship. Yeah, and I was like, like, I mean, yay. That all that means is like, we're spending quality time together. <laughs> so much time. Yeah. Uh, yes. Oh, nice. I love yeah, it. That's great. Now I want to set that lamp up right this second. Oh, my God. Also, don't be afraid to buy like a 30 watt light bulb. Yeah. Because everything's 60 bright? and it's I never too know. bright. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Like, Look for- how many. I have 18 vintage lamps in here and they're all dim. Yeah. But well, also real, because you've got cute. This, the shades yeah, but look dark how, in it. They're like those huge shades that your grandma had. Yeah. That's what I have, too. Um, cool. We've done it. We did it. We done it. We've done it again. We've done it again. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you guys for listening. You're all fucking angel babies. We couldn't do it without you. We're, we're only doing it for you. Yeah, there's nothing without you. <laughs> this is all for you. We're nothing without you. Yeah. It's all for you. And stay sexy. And don't get murdered. Bye. Bye. Elvis. Hold on. Give him a second. Elvis. A cookie. Here he comes. There he is. Look all sleeping. I'll what okay, you doing, Sleepy? Elvis, want a cookie? Want <laughs> <laughs> a want a cookie? I like Good the boy. first quiet one. <laughs>